Well, if you want to open up to John 14 again here. Before we read John 14, I'm just going to kind of review. We're getting pretty close to the end of this series we've been doing on God the Father in the book of John. And I just was looking through my notes and thought it would be good just to kind of review. And I wrote down uh, four things I wanted to to get across in terms of the whole series um, before we even started so I thought it would be good to just go back and kind of rem- do a overview, and I think we've hit most of these already. So the first thing was just to see how rooted in Scripture God the Father is, to see that the reason we believe in God the Father, the reason we believe in the Trinity is because of the Scriptures, that that's why we're convinced that's very clear from what Jesus taught, that we need to look at God as Father. And over and over he emphasized that and emphasized that. And we looked at that. And we looked too at how it's even in the Old Testament. It's hinted. It's not as clear, obviously, as the New Testament, but it's hinted at. So we looked at all that. The other thing, the next thing, was just to communicate that It is through Jesus specifically that we know the Father, through his relationship with the Father, not through some in our mind picture of what a good father is, although that's useful, right? Here's the picture of a good father, but God is even above that, right? That's what Jesus says when he talks about how if your father, if you being a father know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the Father in heaven, right? We've got a picture of God being a good father, and that's above the ideal picture of father we have in our mind. And we just talked about how when we're entering into the relationship, when we're adopted into Christ, it's not a new relationship. We're entering into the relationship that has always been between the Son and the Father from all eternity. We're entering into a relationship that already exists. And so if we want to know what it's like to relate to God as Father, we look at Jesus. Because he's the, he's the paragon. He's the pattern of what it is to relate to God as Father. And that's how we know how to relate to God as Father. The other thing I, I wanted to get across, one of my goals, was, this one's a little bit different, is to try and avoid some of the argumentative type points and rather be di- didactic, rather teach something concrete. And term, what I was thinking of in terms of that is there's a lot of things that about God as Father that there's two sides to, and you can really get into an argument. Which side are you on? You know, If you call, for example, um, we didn't talk about this, but uh, some people will call God things like dad or things like that where they're trying to get across the intimacy and then others are more on the side of, yeah, but he's your holy father. And so he's different. He's he's not like your dad. He's beyond your dad. And I wanted to tr- kind of try and avoid some of the argumentativeness but get across both sides, really, that it is intimate. It is amazing that you can call God father and you can cry out to him and yet he is our holy father. 
that's what Jesus even describes him as, and there's a reverence there. And so I think we got, I hope we got that across, that we want both. We don't want one or the other. We want both. And then lastly, not just those things, but how does this affect me, God being our Father, how does it affect me today? Because it kind of feels practical. I mean, it's like, wow, I'm thankful that God loves me, God's there for me. But I don't want it to just feel practical, I want it to be practical, right? Like, it feels like I should be able to apply this to my life. Well, how does it apply to my life? Does this change my life today? And if it doesn't, let's think about it again. And so that's kind of where we've been. And the last point is really where we want to kind of end the series is, how does this affect our lives today? Like, do we just know it? Like, God's our Father. I know it. I can call, if I took a multiple choice test, I could pass it. Who's, how, many, how many persons are there in God? There's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You know, if, if you're a Christian... You know, are you adopted in? We don't want to just pass a test. We want it to affect our life, right? And so that's really one of the goals here. As we kind of wrap up these next couple weeks, God being our Father, how does it affect our life? And Jesus, in John 14 to 17, I'm going to kind of skip around in 14 to, 17, uh, 14 to 16 today. But he says the same thing over and over. And a lot of it is very practical. So let's read in 14. That's just a long review slash intro starting verse 12 and then read to the end of the chapter so john 14 12 just think about that question as we read through this how does this impact my life today truly truly i say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that i do and greater works than these will he do because i am going to the father whatever you ask in my name this i will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him, and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place. So that when it does take place, you may believe. 
I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded has commanded me, so right so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Well it'd really be good to read if you have time fourteen to sixteen this week and just think about the things we're we're going to talk about, have talked about. Because he really repeats himself and just it helped me a lot to see that Father's repeated so much here. Father's repeated more in 14 to 17 than any other book in the Bible, period, just these chapters. And so it really helped me because as you read it, you see Jesus circling back around, circling back around. Why is he saying this again? Why is he saying this a third time? And many times he's weaving in God the Father. And so that's helpful to see. Well, why is he repeating this? Well, he's saying, saying it once, and then he's saying it again in a little different way, and he's bringing in God the Father, making it clear his relationship uh, to the Father and their relationship to the Father. So that's helpful as you read through it. But what is it that, how does it apply to our life? Well, let's just use what we just said as a background. Well, if whatever way we apply this to our life, it has to be how to apply to Jesus' life, right? Because that's, the, that's what we're trying to enter into. So if, how did it affect Jesus' life to really know that God was his Father? And here is the overarching point you can think of. So it's, we're going to have three subpoints, but basically the main point is this. Ready? You're not alone. You have a personal relationship with God the Father. You're not alone. And that's really what Jesus, the overarching point of all these other benefits that he gives, they flow from not being alone. And Jesus says this actually repeatedly in John. I'll read you a couple of times. He says it in John eight twenty-eight through 29. He says this, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Listen to this. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So he's thinking about the cross. And he's thinking about being lifted up. And what does he say? He's with me. He who sent me is with me. And he has not left me alone. He says it again in, in later in John 16. He says basically the same thing. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, and in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He's not alone. He says it over and over. And then he says it to us, right? I will not leave you as orphans. What's an orphan? Somebody that's left alone, right? I'm going to be going. I'm going to be leaving. But I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send a helper. You're not going to be fatherless. You're not going to be alone. We will come to you. I will come to you. The Father will come to you. The Spirit will come to you. And so that's the overarching point is that you're not going to be alone. You're not alone. You have the Father. If you're in Christ, you have a Father. You're, not, you're never left alone. And so what does that mean? There's actually quite a few benefits that are kind of wrapped in here together in this section. The first is we could just call the presence of God, right? That's kind of the, in one way, that's overarching. You're not alone. It means that you have the presence of the Father with you. But he gives some very specific promises about the presence in these chapters. 
it's pretty remarkable. Let's, let's read the verses one more time here. And then I've got a quote I want to read to you. Let's read the verses where he specifically promises God's presence with them. We're going to skip around just a little bit. Um, but starting in verse 18. So he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So let's just pause right there. You're going to know that Jesus is in the Father, not just that, that you are in Christ, and not just that, that he is in you. You're going to know it. That's a promise. Not just that you're going to not be alone, but that you're going to know that you're not alone. He's going to be real. He's going to be there with you, making it clear to you. And then verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. That's, you're going to be loved by the Father. That's, that's a promise there. I will love him and manifest myself to him. So there's another. Not just that you're going to not be alone, that you're going to feel that you're not alone. You're going to see it. You're going to know it. He's going to show himself to you, not necessarily physically, but he's going to manifest himself to you. So not only are you not alone, it's not just this idea of like you're not alone and, and God's really there even though you can never see him. No, he's saying, I'm going to make it clear to you that I'm with you, that I'm in you, and that if that wasn't clear enough, he says it again in just a little bit different way. I'm going to manifest myself to you. And then keep going. There's Now there's a question. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourselves to us and not to the world? That's a good question. How are you going to do it, God? Is it going to, are you going to just physically appear to us? What is it going to be like? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me... So then we, we know here that this is more than just him reappearing after he dies, right? Because he's talking, he's talking about more than that. He's talking about if anyone, anyone who loves me. He's saying this is available to anyone, any Christian. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So here's some pretty amazing promises here of God's presence with us. Not just that he's going to be with us, not just the idea that he's going to be with us and you're going to know it, but you're not going to feel it. He's saying, I'm going to make it really clear to you. You're going to know, and it's going to be manifest. And how is he going to do it? It's going to be through the indwelling of the Spirit. God's going to be with you. I thought I'd read this quote from F.F. Bruce that's good on this point. He says this, Jesus' love for the Father was shown in his obedience to him and was... Uh, sorry, um, and was requited in his constant awareness of the Father's love and approval. He has not left me alone, he said, because I always do the things that are pleasing to him. John eight twenty nine. So the disciples' love for their master should be shown in their obedience, and their requital will be constant awareness of their master's loving approval. Thus they will remain in the love of him who remains in the Father's love. In this, he's saying the same thing that we were just we just said that what Jesus did was he obeyed the Father 
And what happened was he knew the Father was with him. And he's giving that to us. He's saying the same relationship I have, you're going to have too. And you're going to know that the Father's with you. And so then here's the question. Question for you and for me. Do you have a sense, a real sense of the Father, of Christ's love for you and with you? Day to day, week to week, when things get hard. It doesn't say how often we will get this manifest presence of God with us, but he says we'll get it. Is that there for you? Do you want it? Do you want more? Do you feel like an orphan? Do you feel like you're alone on the world, like God's your father, but he's way off in the distance? Or do you do you experience the nearness of God? That's a it's a big question. You're not alone. Think about what we said. Well, how does this affect our daily life? How would that affect your daily life? You really know God loves you. God's with you. That would, that would affect you day to day, wouldn't it? In way, many more ways than we could think about. It makes me think there's things that affect our lives deeply, affect our lives deeply that we don't really think about how practical they are. I was. I remember. I was thinking about this. A story to kind of get that across. When I was in high school, a senior in high school, there was a lot of stuff going on, and I ha- I was having trouble concentrating in my classes. And I never had that problem before. I was. I usually could just pay attention, remember what the teacher said, do well. And I was really struggling. And I was thinking. I actually had this. I had the thought like. Maybe I'm not really that smart. Maybe I just have a stable home life and I've been able to just listen because, you know, I've got food and parents that love me. And it was just, it hit me the first time really in my life. Maybe I need to be more thankful for my parents. Maybe they're affecting me more than I thought. And it seems like that's the case. You know, there's things that affect your life in major ways that they're under the surface. You don't even realize how much of a stable foundation it's giving you and helping you in all these other areas. Even if you can't see, you know, as a child or a teenager, how practical it really is. Um, and think about that same thing, except with the Father, God, knowing each day He He's with you. He loves you. He cares for you. You're not alone. It may not, you may not be able to think of all the thousand ways that would affect your life, but you can at least look down and see what a foundation to build your life on, how that would grow up and infuse different parts of your life, difficult parts, parts where you feel like I'm doing the right thing, but it's difficult, parts where you're just emotional, uh, emotionally up and down. Maybe things are okay, but it's just hard hard going, um, parenting, school, who, who knows, all, all the thousand ways that that would affect your life day to day. It's eminently practical. So practical it's hard to even put your finger on all the things. Well, that's the first thing. It's a pretty, pretty big promise, isn't it? I mean, God manifesting himself to you? Well, the second one is, seems to be just as big, and it's really under that one idea, again, you're not alone, it's the promise of answered prayer. If you're alone and you pray and nobody's there, not going to get an answer. 
But if somebody's there, if God's there, if the Father hears. Listen to these verses. Just listen to how these verses strike. Just be amazed by that. I mean, this is a, these are wild promises. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works will, than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So if that wasn't enough, he repeated it twice there. And then he says it again in 15. Listen to this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will, it will be done for you. This is 15, 7, 8, 9 if you wanted to look at it. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So there, there again, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And if that wasn't clear enough, he says it again in 16, three times in, in three chapters. This is sixteen twenty-three through 27. He says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name he will give it to you. See how he's circling back around and kind of incorporating the Father again in a little bit of a different way. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and believe that I came from God. So the second promise under this under this bigger bigger umbrella of not being alone is answered prayer. Now let me ask you just this question here. Were those promises the way Jesus said that, was that did he say it that way because he wanted to lower your expectation of answered prayer? No. I mean, they're wild, right? I mean, do you think about how what you would how you'd respond if you really believe that, right? He said, look, look what he said. Whatever you wish, whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to do it. Over and over and over. I wonder why I had to say it five or six times. It's because at least for me, me personally, immediately I'm qualifying all of them. Yeah, but what he means, what he really means is this. And, and well, I don't, I don't think he means he's going to answer this. And, and certainly, you know, it's dependent on this, you know. And in my mind, I'm immediately trying basically to hear the promise and just begin to just lower my expectations because it sounds like a really big promise. It really does. But then again, think about, Jesus. Think about the life of Jesus. Remember in John 12 when he prays to the Father? Remember this. This is crazy. He prays to the Father and a voice comes from heaven and people said it thundered. Remember this? He prays, Father, glorify your name. The voice comes back. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And some people said, an angel spoke. Some people said, it thundered. And you remember what Jesus said? The voice wasn't for me. He said this on your account. That's amazing. 
Do you realize how certain you have to be that God is? Let me ask you this. If you prayed today and a voice came from heaven, would you be more certain God heard you? Or would you say, I, was already, I already knew God always hears me? That's amazing, right? Think about that. That's what Jesus said. He basically said, the voice wasn't for me. I already know God always hears me. He always hears me. Uh, that was for you guys, so you know God hears me. But Jesus is saying, he's trying to basically say, enter in. The relationship that I have with the Father, the love that he has for me, he's, you can have it. That same love. That same, you can ask God. Uh, he, he specifically says, I'm not saying that I'm going to ask God for you. The Father himself loves you. You're going to ask right to him. That's pretty amazing. I mean, if you just read the verses, just, just think about it this way. If you just read the verses and you wrote down, what, would, what do you expect your life to be like? Let's imagine this. You just became a Christian. You just were saved. You don't know any other Christians. You open up the Bible, and these are the first verses you read. You know, like, wow, I'm a new Christian. And then what does God want from me? You read these verses, and what would you expect your prayer life to be like? What would you expect the prayer life of a Christian to be like? You expect it to be like George Mueller, right? Where he prays and prays and prays and he has 10,000 answers to prayer and God provides for, you know, however many orphans. Or you'd expect it to be like Hudson Taylor where he goes over to China and he wants to send a missionary to every province and, you know, he prays for 100 missionaries and they don't even have money for 10. And then God provides it and he provides the missionary. That's what you'd expect your Christian life to be like, wouldn't you? I would, if you just read the verses. It's pretty amazing. They're pretty amazing promises. I'm going to read you a Spurgeon quote here about prayer relating to your father. Think about this. You believe it. You've got a father who loves you. He's there. He's listening. He wants to answer your prayers. How would that, what would your prayer life look like? Listen, this is what Spurgeon talks about. He says this, Cast your troubles where you have cast your sins. You have cast your sins into the depths of the sea. Cast your troubles there also. Never keep a trouble half an hour on your mind before you go tell it to your father. As soon as the trouble comes, quick, the first thing, tell it to your father. Remember that the longer you take telling your trouble to God, the more your peace will be impaired. The longer the frost lasts, the more likely the ponds will be frozen. Your frost will last till you go to the sun. And when you go to the Father, the Son, S-U-N, then your frost will soon become a thaw and your troubles will melt away. Do not be long, because the longer you are in waiting, the longer your trouble will be your trouble in thawing afterwards. Wait a long time till your trouble freezes thick and firm. It will take many a day of prayer to get your trouble thawed again. Away to the throne as quick as you can. Do as the child did when he ran and told his mother as soon as a little trouble happened to him. Run and tell your father the first moment you're in affliction. Do this in everything, in every little thing, in everything by prayer and supplication. Make your requests made known to God. Take your husband's headache, your children's sicknesses, all the things, little family troubles as well as great commercial trials. Take them all to the Father. Pour them all out at once. And so, by an obedient practice of this command in everything, making your requests known to the Father, you shall preserve that peace which shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus.
that's kind of a good bridge there to the third the third benefit really of not being alone, which is peace. And that's one thing he promised here. He talks there about that. He, he kind of bridges the gap between prayer and peace. He's saying, if you, if you have a father that really hears, really cares, really wants to answer, take your troubles to him and find peace. And that's the third thing Jesus promised here, that at least for to talk about today, is, is peace. And he promises that a couple times as well. In 14, he promises it. In verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He's going to leave peace. Not the world's peace. It's going to be different. It's going to be better or worse. Is he? Surely he's not saying, I'm not giving you peace like the world, I'm giving you worse peace. He's giving you better peace. He's giving you greater peace. And then he says it again in 16. 16. 32. Behold, an hour is coming, and indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, the, what is this peace that he's leaving us? Well, a lot of it I, surely relates to the Father, doesn't it? He's saying... We have peace with God. That's got to be part of it. When, when we have, just like we were talking about, that was kind of a perfect tie-in to what we're saying here about when you have sins and you cast them on the Lord, you have a clean conscience. What a joy and peace that is. We were just talking about that just before this. What, what a peace it is. That's part of it. But it's not just a peace. Again, we don't want to make it this peace where it's like, you've got peace between God. You don't feel it. It doesn't really affect your day-to-day life. You just know it is there. No, that's not what we're saying. It's a felt peace. It's a, it's a real peace. It's like the peace of Jesus. Well, what does he specifically say about his peace? He specifically says right before that, I'm not going to be alone. You're all going to leave me, but I'm not going to be alone because the Father's with me. And the peace I have, I'm going to leave that with you. Surely it relates to that same idea of nearness to the Father. Just the way that Jesus walked through the world in great tribulation, difficult, a difficult life. Maybe we could say the most difficult life, right? That seems reasonable to me to say that Jesus had the most difficult life, taking on the weight of the world, the responsibility of bearing the sins of all humanity and then dying on the cross. And what did he have? Peace. Because the Father was with him. He knew he was right with God. And he's saying, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give that to you. That same peace, my peace, will be your peace. Again, let's ask that same question. What would you expect? New Christian, you open up the Bible and you're troubled, but you read this. You think, I'm going to have a lot of peace. My life's going to be filled with peace. Way more peace than I had before I was a Christian. I'm going to be filled with peace. Jesus said he would do it. He said he was going to give me his peace. Surely that's quite a peace, God's peace. Peace of Jesus Christ himself. That's pretty high promise. This is what um, Robert Chapman, there's a biography of Robert Chapman. This is a quote about his, his peace. It relates to him having peace in the midst of difficulty. And it relates to the Father as well, leaning on the Father for his peace. 
On another occasion, Chapman wrote, quote, I have frequently been, and been severely tried in my faith, but the Lord in his own gracious time has sent the means. In this particular instance, what seems to be the unanswered prayer that was producing a great trial of faith was prayers for reconciliation of his fellow believers. There was this big rift, a big split um, in the Brethren movement at that time. And there's a, I won't go into all the details because you don't really need to know all the details, but it really grieved his heart that there was this big split. And he felt like there should be able to be reconciliation. And so this is what he says about that. So he, he his great trial in his faith because of this, but this is what he said. Even with the unanswered prayer, he frequently said, quote, Our Father knows all about it, and this sustained him. He's, he's saying, My life has not been untried. It's been difficult. I've been, I believe the promises. This relates back to the prayer, too. I believe the promise that God would answer my prayers, and yet there's prayers that have been unanswered. And it leaves me troubled. It, means, it leaves me questioning. But what gives me peace? Our Father knows all about it. Amen. Think about that. You're not alone, right? You're not alone. You have the presence of God. Not just knowing that he, He's there, but the felt presence of God. Too, you have answered prayer available to you. Pray. Pray to me and I'll answer your prayers. Pray to me and I'll answer your prayers. Pray to me in, in my name and I'm going to answer your prayers. Pray to the Father. Don't think I'm going to go to the Father on your behalf. He wants to answer your prayers. And even think about this, the Spirit, this isn't in this chapter, but the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Think about how much confidence that should really give us in our prayers. Jesus wants to answer our prayers, the Father wants to answer our prayers, and the Spirit wants to help us pray our prayers. That's a lot of help. (laughs) That's a lot of reason to believe. And so, all that is to say this. There's a lot of questions this raises, right? Because basically for me, here's the expectations that I get from reading John uh, 14 to 16. Like way up here. And here's the reality of my life. It's like, how many answers to prayer? My life doesn't look like George Mueller's life. I don't feel like I'm riding on an ocean of peace, flying over the clouds of difficulty. The sensed and felt presence of God, I don't have it as much as I want to. So what do we do? What do we do? Is that the same for you? What do we do with that? Well, first, just we want to just see and let them stay remarkable promises, right? Let's, let, let's keep them remarkable. Let's just say these are amazing promises. These are high and lofty promises. And here's my hope today for you, that it would just whet your appetite. That it would be like, okay, it'd be like a, me taking, saying, hey, we're going to go on a, I guess we call it a field trip, and I take you into a gold mine. I say, look, I found this gold mine. We bought the land. There's all this gold, just more gold than you can carry, anybody could ever carry out. So just take whatever you want. How much gold would you take? Would you pick up like a little tiny piece like this? No. (laughs) You'd take a bunch, right? The better you think gold is, the more you take. Well, here we are. I mean, that's what we're doing today. Basically, we're saying, like, look, here's this gold mine. Look at all these promises. How much of them do you want? I mean, do you want a little bit of God's presence in your life? Do you want to just see a couple answers to prayer? Do you want a little bit of peace? Or do you want all of it, you know? Because the reality is what, for me in my life, it's like, 
I'm basically doing that. I'm coming to the Bible, I'm living my Christian life, and I'm being way too satisfied with like just tiny pieces of gold here and there when there's more promise to me. You know, there's a lot more promise to me. So that's what I want. I want to wet my appetite. I want to say, look, here's my Christian life, but here's what the Bible says the Christian life is like. I want to be closer to that this next year. I want to be closer to that this next week, this next month. What Jesus said was possible. I want, to, I want my Christian life to be a little bit more like that. Because you know what you could do is you could try and lower the bar, right? And that would make you feel better, right? If here's what Jesus promised and here's where I'm living, how, what am I going to do? I could just forget about it. I don't want to think about that. I could try and lower the bar like, oh, maybe Jesus didn't mean that. Maybe he meant less. Maybe he meant, maybe I'm thinking too, I'm thinking of it wrongly. Or you could just say, man, I want more. Your appetite's wet. I want more that Jesus has promised. And so, that's my hope for you, is that just whets your appetite. What's the most helpful thing I was thinking I could give you today in terms of these verses? And I don't think it's answers to all the questions that you have about, well, what, is it, what does it mean? Because I've prayed, there's things I thought that I really thought were going to happen, and they didn't. How do, I, how do I handle that? And what about, you know, um, how does this peace really look? Because... Jesus had peace, and yet he wept in the garden and sweat drops of blood. So there's, it's more nuanced than just you know, smiling all the time. So how do they work together? You know, I think the most helpful thing I could do this morning is not just answer all these questions and give all these qualifications. It's simply just to say, here's what Jesus said. It's a high and lofty promise. Do you want more? Why don't you just ask God? Right? Like, why don't you just go to God? And here's something that I hope will encourage you. This is, would be my application for you today. God, in the Bible, seems to very, very, very much honor and love when people come and say, look, here's what you said, God, and here's where I'm living. I want to be up here. I want to be, help me. He does, over and over and over. People in the Bible, God, God has given us examples. Psalm 119 says, my soul clings to the dust. It's like a Hebrew idiom, like, um, I'm, as, I'm deeply depressed and I'm about to die. It's just as bad as it could possibly get. And this is what he says, give me life according to your word. It's like, I'm about to die. I'm not just about to die, but my soul, it feels like it's about to die. But you promise life, give it to me. Think about that. That's in the Bible. That's him saying, I'm way down here, but this is, you promised something way up here. Lord, do it, just like you said. That sounds, that sounds good. Psalm 73 is very similar to that. It's different. He's saying like, man, I'm looking out and I'm seeing all the, all the wicked people. They just get, everything good is handed them. My life is terrible. It's hard. God, where are you at? Should I keep going? It seems like what you said is when I follow you, it's going to be, better and it looks like when people don't follow you it gets better and he prays that that's in the bible and god answers him and he gives him clarity and he gives him peace and he and he shows him you know the answer and you can read that if you want to there's it's good but he's god is open to hearing pouring out your 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 expectations are up here but your reality seems so much lower god help me give me more judges uh gideon there's a really amazing, I'm in Judges right now in my Bible reading plan. I'm back when Mason gave out those Bible reading plans. 
I don't know, like three years ago or four years ago. I'm still checking off my little boxes, and I'm in Judges, so it kind of shows you how slow I move. Um, but I'm, at least I'm slowly moving. Uh, let me get, find Judges here. Judges chapter 6. Gideon says almost the same thing, a little different. A little different. He says in 13 to 14, he says, Gideon said to this angel of the Lord who appeared to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Why are, where are all his wonderful deeds that our father recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. Okay, so here's that. That's, here's the expectations way up here. Like, I read the Old Testament, God, and it seemed like you delivered people, and you, did, you, like, you came through in miraculous ways. But look, here, we're, we're under oppression. Like, you let, you let them come in and take over. Like, I just don't get it. Like, when I read the Old Testament, it seems like, man, you're going to come through. You're going to do awesome things. And he says that right to the angel that God sent. And what's the Lord's response? And the Lord, this is interesting, the Lord returned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? It's like he asked, and it's like God's like, great. That's a good question. Go and do it. And he does. <laughs> right? Remember that? And he only takes 300 guys. It's one of the stories that you tell your kids, you know, in the Action Bible or whatever you use. It's like, look at, look at this awesome story of God delivering his people. You know, just 300 guys. They didn't, they didn't even, you know, attack them. They just had a, had a, torch and well i think they put it in a jar and they yelled and broke the jar and blew a trumpet i think and then they all ran away it's amazing and i'll just give you one more example of this just so you can i just want you to feel free just to like actually read the bible and it's like well it looks well it seems like it's saying this but it's hard for me to understand it well you know in the bible that happened to people over and over and over and over and you know what they did they just went to god and they said god Boy, it's really hard for me to understand this. Help me. Like, bring me on. Give me clarity. It doesn't, you're not doing what I expected you to do. And it happens over and over and over. Last example I'll give you is Habakkuk 1, 1 to 5. And I, I, just for the sake of time, I'll just summarize it. But basically, Habakkuk says, Look, God, there's all this injustice in Israel, and I prayed, and you didn't change the whole nation, which is a pretty amazing thing to say. I prayed for you to end injustice, and you didn't change your whole country, God. Why didn't you do it? And that's a pretty amazing prayer, right? He's expecting God to actually answer his prayers. And when he doesn't, he says, Why not, God? I thought you were going to answer my prayers. And then God answers him, and he says, I am going to answer your prayers, and I have answered your prayers, but it's not in the way you expected. I'm sending the Chaldeans in to wipe out uh, and then um, Israel for this injustice. And then Habakkuk says, well, surely you're not going to do that, God. That doesn't make sense either. Like, why would you do that? And then God answers him back, well, this is the reason I'm going to do that. <laughs> and so he's just over and over, he's perplexed. Like, God, I thought you'd do this. You're doing this. Help me to understand it. And guess what? God does. And now it's in the Bible, along with a lot of other passages. So here's my question to you. Here's my challenge to you. Just live with attention, right? Like, here's what the Bible promised, and here's where I'm living. Or maybe you maybe you feel like you're 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 experiencing more, but I think all of us could say, like, there's still more ground to be taken. There's more reality to be had, more peace, more of the presence of God, more answered prayer um, in my life that I that I want. And what if, what if James 4, 2, and 3 are the reason? What if we just say this? We, 
We have not because we ask not. I mean, what if you could have more this week? There's more available to you this week and next week and next week. And the first step is just ask God. God, here's what you said. I believe you. I want more. Why isn't there? There may be different answers for each one of us. I mean, there could be a thousand different things that God God has to say to us. He said different things to all those different people. Um, he answered them in different times and different different ways. All the people we looked at there. I, w- I would not be surprised if there's people in here today that if you go home and you pray, God meets with you. And you're like, wow, praise the Lord right away. And some, it may be God points something out. Well, what about this? And he, he shows you an area of growth or, or something like that. But here's what we don't want. We don't want indifference, right? We don't want to read through the promise of the Bible and how amazing it is and just be like, eh, I'm okay with just a little bit of God. I just, I got this much of God. That's okay. I don't want to be like that, right? We don't want to, we don't want to just bring the Bible down to our level. Well, I'm living down here and the Bible sounds like it's up here. I'm just going to explain it all away so it gets a little bit closer and I feel a little bit better. We don't want to do that either. We don't want to just say, ah, I'm not going to think about it. Just... It's too uncomfortable. I don't want to think about it. I hope that it bothers us enough just to go to God and say, God, here's what you said. I want more. Help me. Show me. Change me. Whatever it takes. This is what you said. I believe, I believe it enough to ask, why not more? Why not me? Why not now? And you know what? You know why that's not scary? Because you're not alone. There's a real God there ready to answer. That he, He's the one that really said this. He really meant it. It's just like conversion, you know. We're, we're, we're banking everything on the reality of God, you know. If there's no real God, then there's no hope for the person who needs to be changed from the inside out. But you know what? Many of us have been changed from the inside out. Why? Because the real God came down when we had no hope. Right? We're like, I can't do this. I can't make this happen. I'm dead in my sins. God, you've got to wash me. You've got to cleanse me. You've got to change me. And then, boom, he did it. It's like, wow, amazing. The real and living God invaded my life. Well, let's have that again. Let's have the real and living God invade our lives in other ways. Not just cleansing from sin, but filling us with his presence. Answering our prayers. And you know what? When he doesn't, it's going to it's going to hurt, right? If you really believe God's going to come through and he does something different than you thought, that's, it hurts. But you know what? You're not alone. You can just ask that real and living God who's with you, God, I don't understand this. I need help. I thought you were going to answer this. I thought you were going to do it this way. And you didn't. Help me. And you know what? He's still going to be there. And that's good news. And so I hope that you can see um, it is practical, Right? The fatherhood of God in your life is imminently practical. The reality of God day to day, you're not alone. In peace, in prayer, and in his presence. So let's pray together. Lord, we just look to you. And Father, we if we made up the Bible or thought how it would be, it would not be like this. And we, if we were going to say how many times you answer prayer, we wouldn't have made those promises so high. We would have made them like less. Like some half the time I'll answer something like that. Or just, they're just so incredible. 
And so here we're asking, you wanted to raise our expectations, and so here we are. I mean, we're saying we're expecting more, God, and we want more. We want our prayer lives to be more. We want uh, to be saying, wow, what an amazing gift that you changed our lives through prayer, just like you said, just what, just what he said there is true. We need help. Uh, so would you do it in our lives, Father and Jesus? We look to you as our example. We need help. We, and then the presence, your presence with us through the Spirit of the Father, Son, and Spirit. We are looking to you for help. You promised it, and so here we are. And we just pray, be with us today, be with us tomorrow, be with us the rest of the week and month and year. We want more of your presence this year than we had last year. You promised it right here to us. And so we're just coming and saying we want more. Lord, we do ask, please don't let us just do any of the other thing. We don't want our just to lower our expectations and just live like basically like you're not real. We don't want that. We want to look to you, the real and living God, to invade our life day to day. Would you do it? Would you just give us tokens throughout the day with our kids, with our family, with our jobs, that you're with us and you're helping us? We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're dismissed.